you are Locked On Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, all you true sons and daughters. I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball. And on today's show, we've got more about this Kentucky Wildcats game. Yes, I had a chance to re-watch the game on my iPad this morning. Had a lot of fun doing so, quite frankly. And, well, other than the fact that there's that irritating, fake crowd noise that was going through in Furrow Field, I found it a little bit annoying at the game. I found it even more annoying coming through my speaker's in a television-type situation. So, I don't know. Can we just get rid of the canned heat, please, by all means? But we got more Kentucky observations, maybe a couple modifications now that I had a chance to re-watch some plays and some moments. So, some things I might amend from my show that was posted on Sunday. But also, I want to crown the assistant coach MVP the season so far a guy who's gotten some praise for sure but in my mind frankly not nearly enough but first let's start with some breaking news at least we hope that it's news and that's that well Dan Mullen now is saying he fully expects that Florida will have its 53-man roster by the time Saturday rolls around Florida began practicing again on Monday, so they're back to football activities. According to Dan Mullen, all systems go. Obviously, as we all know with COVID, we'll see how it goes, but I'm liking the optimism. Frankly, it seems like most of the Missouri beat is rooting against Dan Mullen in a very strong and passionate way, but you know what? I'm rooting for a football game, so hopefully Dan Mullen is right. And Well, if if it's true that As many guys have tested for COVID with Florida, as we've heard, then, well, this could be an advantage for Missouri. You never know. Who knows how much practice these guys are actually going to get in. And then there's the health side of it, too. Who knows what condition they'll be in. I mean, don't get me wrong. I imagine all these guys will be fine long-term, but short-term, and, well, that's what we're concerned about as Missouri fans with a game just five days away. Who knows? I can only speculate at this point, and that would be pretty irresponsible to do so. Just just know that there's a whole lot of unknowns right now, making that line that's over two touchdowns, Missouri getting, gosh, 15 last I saw, getting tempting, I got to say. Well, well, I'll have more thoughts as the week goes along, but, you know, speaking of COVID-19, unfortunately, more news involving that in the world of college basketball ESPN has now officially scrapped its plans to hold the bubble, the NBA bubble. Hey, remember that down in Orlando? Well, college basketball was planning on doing its own version of the bubble with many of these preseason non-conference basketball tournaments, including the Myrtle Beach Invitational, which was to include your Missouri Tigers. Now, this is unfortunate, obviously, but from Missouri's perspective, not really the end of the world. Don't get me wrong, you'd like to have some good non-conference games, but I think Missouri already has a decent amount of those, and the ones that have been scrapped, well, other programs are scrapping theirs as well. So, ultimately, not a big deal for them. Who this really hurts is sort of your mid-major, high-major teams 
that need these rare opportunities to prove their worth on a neutral court against the big boys like like Missouri or even you know a bigger boy like Duke or somebody like that just to 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 put down a quality win or even a quality loss as silly as that may sound on your NCAA tournament resume for those high majors not to have that that's a really big blow for a lot of those teams especially the ones that have a great season but maybe happen to lose in the championship game of their conference tournament. So that's kind of a bummer for those teams for sure. But as for Missouri, probably not a huge effect on them. They're still going to have the 22-game SEC schedule. Their season's going to come down to that, ultimately. So especially with the Kansas game canceled, especially with bragging rights up in the air at this point, it's all going to come down to the SEC for the Tigers. And, well... I don't know how you how you feel optimistically about this team depends on how you feel about what we have coming back because Missouri obviously has as much coming back as anybody in the nation. So what do you think? Do you think that's a good thing or do you think it's a bad thing because a lot of those guys underachieved especially in terms of shooting last year. Not to be simplistic, I think a lot of it's going to come down to can they actually make shots that are open from the three-point line once again? But you know what? Transitioning back to football, I thought it was interesting in retrospect. Eli Drinkwitz, on his radio show before the Kentucky game, was asked, of course, about the wide receiver rotation, considering the guys who were out the previous week against LSU and the guys who replaced them, like Boo Smith and Toski Dove, really produced. And while Drinkwitz's effort, in retrospect, was kind of revealing of his game plan, he said, we have a saying no block, no rock. In other words, if you don't block in the running game, well, you're not going to get any passes coming your way, and you're probably not going to see the field. That's what that means, quite simply. And the fact that he said that in the week leading up to Kentucky, well, obviously in retrospect, that told us that it was going to be a run-heavy kind of game plan. And speaking of those receivers, I thought Damon Hazelton really played a nice game from Missouri. I want to praise him and some more guys have some more observations based on this rewatch of the Kentucky game. But first, I want to remind you the best way you can possibly get auto parts on the internet, and that is at rockauto.com. And as all of you can probably imagine, this job is not my day job. No, podcasting does not bring home the bacon for me at this point, unfortunately. But what that means is I don't have a lot of t- free time. So it's been hard for me to get to the dealership, to the auto parts store, to replace, frankly, a brake light. And that's not safe. You want to get that thing fixed. So instead of dilly-dallying around, we're waiting for the perfect moment in my schedule to open, instead I've gone to rockauto.com. I searched for my 2014 Ram 1500, found the proper brake light, and guess what? It was as cheap as I could have possibly imagined, and it's on its way as we speak. So go to rockauto.com and find exactly what you need for your vehicle. And please write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com And when you're finished installing your new auto part, well, 
it's time to celebrate responsibly and hit the reset button with a cold, with a cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged Coors Light that's made to chill. Because while Coors Light tastes fantastic under any circumstances, well, in my humble opinion, it tastes even better under the circumstances of success. Yes, when you finally accomplish your goal, when you finish your yard work, when you finished putting in that brake light on your new truck, that's the perfect time to crack that lovely, satisfying Coors Light. So get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Again, that's delivery of Coors Light straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Well, you had to love Eli Drinkwitz dialing up a flea flicker for the second consecutive week. And, you know, I I spoke earlier about things that made even more sense in retrospect. Well, when you think about it, after watching that game unfold, it's interesting that he dialed up that flea flicker early. It was almost to keep the Wildcats in position. Make sure that they weren't cheating too hard down on those Larry Roundtree running plays. Just keep that play in the back of their mind. And, you know, it was interesting. Kiki Chisholm may have run open late there for sure on that play, but I think it was also emblematic of what Eli was probably telling Connor Basilak before and during the game, which is just be safe. Take the check downs. And on that play, that's exactly what Connor did. He just took the, the check down to Damon Hazelton and boy Hazelton did a fantastic job with yards after the catch there broke a tackle ran really hard then later in that first quarter I believe maybe it was the first half pretty early in the game regardless a fourth and five play Eli isolates Hazelton on the right side and frankly he just bullied that corner out of the way on a slant pass for the first down If you're a Kentucky fan, you're probably whining for some sort of pass interference there. But I think if you're allowed to, if the defense is allowed to chuck the guy within five yards, then the offensive guy, he's allowed to do it as well, right? So just good physical football there by Damon Hazleton. And, you know, he really played a nice game when when I went back and looked at it. Certainly his best game as a Tiger so far. So good on you. And I mentioned previously that I was really upset about the Boo Smith holding penalty. Well, you know what on re when I was at the game that is and and on rewatching this ball game, I didn't really love any of the penalties that were called on Missouri. Now, obviously, the one illegal formation, that was on us. That was a mess up. But the Boo Smith holding, I I didn't have any different thoughts seeing that on a replay. I thought that was shaky to say the least, but then later, there was another speed. There was another holding speed option play to Tyler Beatty. He got about twenty yards. I mean, really, really late in the play, they called a hold on Larry Borum. That to me was just totally ticky tack. I thought the guy was just the defensive player was being dominated there. I, I just didn't see any need to call a holding penalty there. And then, of course, the Ennis Rakestraw personal foul that really didn't make a lot of sense to me either it looked like if anything there was a little pushing and shoving by both guys but I don't know I that wasn't worthy of a personal foul on either one of those players to me but to throw it on rake straw just didn't make any sense whatsoever so a little bit of odd officiating there for sure but fortunately 
none of that cost seemed to cost Missouri anything in the long run. Now, I mentioned in my preview episode that the way Kentucky plays defense and the way Ole Miss had some success out of empty formations, I thought that would be something that would be wise for Missouri to go to early. And while they never, they didn't really do that a lot on standard downs, they did pick up a couple crucial third downs, a third and three and a third and four in the first half, for instance, both out of empty formations. Once was a scramble by Connor, for sure. But I'll also say on the rewatch of this game, Missouri was snapping the ball much more quickly than I remembered. Now, Blake and I talked about that Ole Miss game a little bit. I asked, what do you think? Do you think Missouri should force the tempo a little bit? And certainly there wasn't any warp speed Ole Miss, let's try to snap at every 10 to 15 seconds kind of deal there. But Missouri was definitely more high-tempoed than what I thought. And I wouldn't say, again, it's not Josh Heupel. Don't think that. But they were they were lining up, taking their time, but then they'd snap the football with a good 20 or 15 seconds left on the play clock. Now, that may not seem like a huge deal, but over the course of especially the first three, three-and-a-half quarters of that game, that just meant more offensive snaps for Missouri. It just meant... Uh, more frequency of that big old Larry Roundtree and that big old Missouri offensive line just grinding that defensive line for Kentucky down over and over again. And I think it was obvious by the fourth quarter that had clearly taken its effect on the entire Kentucky defense, especially their defensive line, though, even to the point where, I mean, guys are dropping down, grabbing hamstrings. I mean, I think Larry Roundtree flat out accused those guys of faking some injuries because they were so tired just to just to stop the clock for a little bit, just to stop the action. But So that just shows you, Missouri, the level of domination that they had there. And frankly, I don't think offensive line coach Marcus Johnson, I've brought him up before, you know what, let's bring him up again because I'm not sure he can possibly get enough credit. Again, with the, the level that this offensive line played at last year and with guys who had talent too, guys who have made NFL rosters, but somehow this sort of makeshift group with a, a center who transferred from Rutgers, a bunch of guys who were you know, maybe backups and unknowns. Now we've gone consecutive weeks here. Think about what this offensive line has done. They were tasked with pass blocking, a pass-heavy scheme and game plan against the defending national champions, and they pulled it off. Say what you will about LSU's defense. I'd like to see you block some of those four- and five-star defensive linemen. Those guys did a great job. And then the next game, a run-heavy approach against Kentucky. And what did they do? They went out and executed that as well. Despite the fact that left guard Xavier Delgado limped off in the second quarter, did not return, and then right tackle... Larry Borum, second half, he left the game as well. And, and to my eyes, especially, again, when I rewatch these games, I'm able to focus more on the blocking. To me, Larry Borum, along with Case Cook, have just been tremendous on that right side of the offensive line. So, obviously, the fact that we were able to weather the storm there, put in a rarely used player in Javon Foster and still salt the game away there. Marcus Johnson, you, my friend, are killing it. 
And of course, more thoughts on Kentucky, including some more love for our new quarterback, Connor Bazelag, after this quick break. I thought it was funny on the broadcast that they were saying that apparently Connor Bazelag's folks and maybe Connor himself were saying that, well, he's a bit, he was a bit of a hothead when he played basketball in high school and as a young man, that sort of deal. Because, well, obviously we've seen none of that on the football field. And not only is he a cool customer on the field in terms of just executing what he needs to execute athletically, well, just mentally he seems to have it all as well. I mentioned I just thought Basilak was just so good on third downs in this game previously. Well, now I've got the stats to back it up. Connor was 8 of 9 passing on third down with just over 80 yards against the Wildcats. Connor said after the game, quote, our offensive line did an excellent job protecting. All I had to do was execute. We knew we wore their defense out. Larry ran his ass off, and that's why we won the game. And indeed, after Roundtree scored basically the the go-ahead, game-winning, clinching for all intents and purposes, touchdown, you saw Connor Bazelak, who did not throw a touchdown in the game, get as excited as anybody, pump his fist going, yes, basically we did it. In other words, this kid gets it. Stats don't matter. Winning is what matters. Making plays that help your team win and executing them as such, that is what's important. That's the thing to celebrate. And if it means you have to throw for 500 yards or it means Larry has to have 37 carries, either way, it seems like this locker room is is really together right now, which is really impressive after, you know, a couple tough, tough losses to start the season. Frankly, when you pair Eli Drinkwitz, a guy who's obviously an adaptable, intelligent play caller, with good quarterback play, with a good offensive line coach, and, you know, just some, by the way, some Eli charisma that seems to be injected into this program that's already yielding some results in the recruiting. Boy, we're, we're looking at a pretty potent combination here, folks, and I'm liking, I'm liking this stew. I'm liking the taste of it so far. Now, I will say on rewatch that Josh Ali touchdown – Ennis Rakestraw, he was definitely beaten a little bit more than I thought, than what I certainly put across in my previous episode. But the reason I said, well, you know, he wasn't in that bad a position is that he did recover. He did so show a nice recovery ability there and definitely made a play on the ball at the last second, tried to knock it out. Obviously, Ali held on to it, made a nice play, but I don't know, to me, the amount of pressure that we put Rakestraw under, having to mostly cover Ali the whole game, one-on-one with not a lot of help, I think most part, he did a really, really nice job. And also, just to be fair, I all pre- I previously pointed out that one, I believe it was a third and four type play, about midfield, where it looked like if Connor, when he rolled out, he could have gotten a first down if he would have just scrambled for it. But you know what? I think he made probably an an even bigger mistake with about five minutes and 30 seconds left in the game. Now, Missouri was up seven at this point. You've got the field goal in hand. At this point, obviously, that's going to basically end the game considering the, the type of offense that Kentucky was running throughout. But to me, 
he throws into way too tight of a window there at that moment. If you go back and look at that play again with about 531 left. Now it wasn't totally in jeopardy of an interception. Don't get me wrong. I just, I don't even want to think about throwing something into a really tight window in that moment. And he also had some room to run once again. So I think for the most part, Connor's done a nice job of making the decisions to scramble and scrambling effectively. But a couple times there in that game, he would have been wise to just tuck it and run, especially in this situation. Again, very little time left. All you need is a field goal to make it a two-possession game. Fortunately, I thought the next down, even though he threw incomplete to Michael Wilson in the back of the end zone, that was a good throw. That was a nice, safe throw in that situation. It was high enough that only he could get it. Unfortunately, it was just a tiny bit too high. But again, that's an accurate, an, a slightly inaccurate throw that you can live with. It really is. So I'll even give Connor a little bit of credit on that one. And by the way, just a quick note to go out on. We mentioned that Covassier Smoke, a running back for Kentucky, is about as good of a name as you're going to get. Well, in my humble opinion, I think Kentucky might even have a better guy than that. And that is right guard Kenneth Horsey. Yes, that's right. His last name is really Horsey, and he's an offensive lineman from Kentucky of all places. Will he be in will he be at Churchill down someday? We can only hope so. Hopefully he has his own his own personal luxury box because he's just that darn successful one day. So good luck to you, <laughs> Kenneth Horsey. I just love that name. And if you know me well, you know why. So with all that being said, I'm gonna get out of here on this episode. And until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.